Hello and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Stratfor podcast, focused on geopolitics and world affairs from stratfor.com. I'm your host, Ben Sheen. This episode of the podcast is a bit of a departure. Following the results of the first round of France's presidential election on Sunday, April 23rd, Stratfor's senior analysts sat down for a live webcast to examine the results and explore what's ahead for France and the European Union as a whole. In addition to their discussion, they also took live questions from the online audience. For this episode of the Stratfor podcast, we're bringing you that entire conversation with Vice President of Global Analysis Riva Gujon in our Austin, Texas headquarters, Senior Europe Analyst Adriano Bassoni in Barcelona, Europe and Economy Analyst Mark Fleming-Williams in London, and Senior Analyst Sim Tak from Belgium. Thanks for joining us. Obviously, we've just had a um, big election um, in France, uh, which uh, the whole of Europe and the whole of the world has been watching. Um, Final results have come out um, and the uh, pseudo outsider Emmanuel Macron has has come first with 24%. um, And then the far right Eurosceptic leader Marine Le Pen of the National Front has um, come second with 21.3%. And we've got the second round in uh, in May, on May the 11th, so two Sundays from now. So bearing that in mind, um, Adriano, could you just give us a refresher on the on the core positions of the two candidates and what we need to bear in mind in the days leading up to the second round? Yeah, as, as you said, before before we start with that, as you said, it's, it's very notable that the election showed how fragmented the French electorate is. You just mentioned it. We have four candidates uh, within a very short margin uh, we have the, the fourth most popular got 19% of the votes, then the second to last 20%, then 22%, and 20, 24%. So we have four candidates within a four or five points margin. Uh, this, this shows the extent to which uh, the candidates and the electorates are, are very fragmented. And as you were saying as well, three of the four uh, most popular candidates presented themselves as outsiders from the political system. Of course, there is a long debate over whether or not Emmanuel Macron, a former banker, a former minister, is actually an outsider, but at least he does not belong to any of the traditional parties, and he presented himself as a breath of fresh air that would come to renew French politics. And the same could be said uh, about Le Pen and Mélenchon. Both have been in politics for a very long time. Uh, Mélenchon was a minister. Marine Le Pen has been a member of the European Parliament for a number of years now. But they all had this common element of, of a strong criticism of, of, the, of, the traditional, of the traditional parties. And if we take a look at, at, at the numbers, uh, there's an interesting factor. If we combine the number of people who voted for Le Pen and the number of people who voted for Mélenchon, we have that roughly half the French electorate voted we, for, for anti-system parties. Can we so, just quickly, sorry, sorry to interrupt, Adriana, can we yeah. just step back a little bit and just, um, before we start running into names, just give a quick profile of, of each of these four, four candidates before just to introduce them? Yeah, we had the, the two main that were eliminated were... Uh, Mélenchon, who is the left-wing candidate, who had a very nationalist, protectionist agenda, but without the the anti-immigration elements of of the far right. Then we had uh, Fillon, a former prime minister. He was the only uh, candidate representing the mainstream parties, the mainstream Republican Party. He had like a liberal agenda. He has been compared to the 
Thatcher of France of sorts because he wanted to cut spending. He wanted to uh, make the labor legislation more flexible. And then we have the two candidates that actually qualified to the second round. We have, on the one hand, the guy who won the election, Emmanuel Macron, a former banker. He's proposing a combination of some spending cuts. He wants to cut spending by 50 billion euros, but also a combination of, of, of spending, in public spending, because he also wants to to, to spend uh, billions of euros to modernize the French economy. And then the, the candidate who ended up in the second position is Daniel Le Pen, the leader of the National Front, uh, with a very strong uh, anti-immigration agenda, but also with a protectionist agenda. He, she promised to implement what she called intelligent protectionism. Okay, so we had, we had four candidates, which in itself was um, rather unusual for the for the French uh, election system. Um, well, four four strong candidates is is, is rather unusual. Um, it, strikingly unusual is that the two um, the the two kind of well. So one of the candidates you mentioned is um, uh, Francois Fillon, was one of the traditional establishment candidates. The other traditional uh, establishment candidate was um, Benoit Hamon, who wasn't even in the top four. He was a he was yeah. a socialist um, and uh, neither of them uh, got through to the second round. So that's so that's pretty crazy um, in, in French electoral history. That's that's never happened before. So this even just beginning there, this is a, a very unusual election. Um, I see Reeves just joined us. I've been hearing you profile the candidates, but let's get to Mark on how the markets have been reacting thus far to at least the first round result, and what are they gambling for the second round? Well, so it was, it was, so it's a, it's a crazy election, as I said, um, but it's not as crazy as the markets were afraid. Um, so, from the market perspective, what they were really worried might happen was one of the two extreme candidates, who was um, Jean-Luc Mélenchon. Um, I'm sorry, both of the extreme candidates, which is Jean-Luc Mélenchon and Marine Le Pen, would get through to the second round. The French system is is set up so that um, it should be designed to keep an extremist out. Um, but when you've got two extreme, extremists going through, then that system kind of breaks down. Um, and so that was the danger. So the, the markets basically built up a lot of a lot of risk. Uh, kind of risk off positions. They they were taking it very carefully in the run up to the election. Um, just in case of that eventuality. As Adriana mentioned, um, we haven't seen that. Um, we've seen Macron and Le, Pe and Le Pen go through, so only one um, of the more extreme candidates. And so that means the system ought to um, take take some of that. Uh, that means the system ought to manage it a little bit more. more. The system is designed to manage that situation to keep the extremist out. So the market has been um, quite relaxed about it um, and, and has come back and has kind of breathed a, a, a large general sigh of relief. Um, we can see this in, the, well, first of all, I mean, the French stock market has hit nine year highs um, as uh, there had been sell offs in, in banks and industrials beforehand. That's all now come rushing back um, because the stock market is sorry because the because the markets are seeing this as as um, a down downside scenario has now been removed um, and then general volatility which is kind of a global kind of volatility volatility index which is kind of a kind of measures the fear in the market which had been creeping up um, it it was last up just before Trump was elected um, and then it had been creeping up kind of a third of the same distance over the last month. Um, but that has just has just gone straight back down again. So it just shows that the market is 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 more relaxed. Um, and then a finally th final thing to mention is the um, is the euro, which um, had been dropping in in the same way. And in, in because the risk is that if someone like 
Marine Le Pen had come had come in, that could potentially lead to some kind of a breakup of the eurozone, which would make the euro less good to hold. So it had been um, losing value, but it's now uh, strengthened in value. So relaxed at the prospect of more votes likely going to Macron, and that's that seems to be a pretty prevailing assumption at this point and a pretty safe one. But the really key benchmark that we're very focused on are the National Assembly elections coming up. June 11th is the first round. Adriano, explain to our listeners why this is such a critical event to watch. Yeah, the, the French system is a semi-presidential system in which there is a president who has some powers, especially on foreign policy and defense, but there is also a prime minister who, in general terms, takes care of the economy and domestic issues. To appoint a prime minister, you need support from the National Assembly, which is the, the French, the lower chamber of the French parliament. And you also need the National Assembly to pass legislation. So no matter who wins the, the, the election, the second rounds in, in two weeks, they will need support in the National Assembly to pass legislation and to appoint a prime minister. Considering that the two candidates who have qualified for the second round are very popular individually, but they do not lead massive parties that have a, a widespread presence across the French geography, uh, they, we may see a situation in which the presidency is controlled by one party, but the National Assembly is controlled by a different party. And the National Assembly may try to impose uh, a prime minister to the president. And we could have what the French call cohabitation, that is a president and a prime minister from different parties. Depending on the compromise they reach, there could be uh, an alliance, there, there could be a coordination of policy, but there could also be conflicts. And France has seen evidence of conflicts in, in, in the past. In the late 1990s, there was a socialist prime minister who imposed the 35-hour work week on a conservative president who was against it, but he could do nothing about it. So this has happened before in, in, in French politics. Just to, just to build on that, just quickly to, to build on that, Riva, sorry. Um, it is just to, just to go back to how freaky this election is and how unusual this election is, is that the system which Adriano is describing is really set up for this kind of bipolarity of left and right, and it goes back and forth from one to the other. Um, and so that legislative, uh, legislative election and that National Assembly is supposed to work with the president, it, who, and they're supposed to be aligned, they're supposed to be together. Um, that works when you've only got two parties in the mix. But what we've got here for the first time is um, instead of a left and right split, we've got a far right potential and a, a, and a, and a centrist. So the system which has been building up over built built up over the last kind of 60 70 years since 1958 um with the legislative election and with the with the parties that are currently sitting in their in their majorities within within the parliament um isn't suited to these to these candidates who who are about to become president one of them is about to become president so there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of potential for for kind of un, un uncharted territory going forwards there's a lot of a lot of potential for for, for uncertainty yeah, and it, all, it all depends on, sorry, just one more thought. It all depends on how fragmented the parliament ends. If you have a single party controlling the National Assembly, then they will try to impose a prime minister on, on the president. If you have fragmentation, then the president may have more room to try to negotiate either an alliance or a case-by-case -case support for legislation. But uh, it, it, the next president won't have uh, an, an easy task. This could be 
a good thing of sorts if Marine Le Pen wins, because many of her policies would need a massive support in the National Assembly to hold a referendum on France's EU membership. You need to reform the constitution and to reform the constitution, you need a three-fifths majority in, in parliament, which is not going to happen. So this could be a, a checks and balance system working against Le Pen. But even if you have a moderate like, like Macron, you could have a, a bottleneck and you could have policy being very, very difficult to implement. And this, this point is essential, right? Because when we talk about the prevailing discontent that has really framed this election, that has given the National Front its its biggest electoral victory yet, you know, it, it has to do with so many different issues when we talk about the economic stagnation, the social pressures that come from immigration, just the deeper issue of what it means to reclaim national identity. And when we're looking at the prospect of institutional paralysis in the French political system as a result of the presidential and the National Assembly elections combined, you know, gridlock basically means no movement on key reforms. Uh, you know, it means that you're going to have a lot more political dissatisfaction that we've already seen as a building trend in French politics uh, that only widens the divide between France and the, the southern bloc of countries and, and Germany and the northern bloc of countries that it leads. And so the, it's that dynamic, that, that institutional paralysis that, paralysis that I think we really need to bear in mind and warn that, you know, this is not a reason to be complacent. Just because Macron has definitely the edge in the second round of elections, uh, we are still seeing very shaky ground in Europe overall. And that's certainly yeah. not just limited to France alone. We still are looking at Italy. We're looking at Germany. Uh, Adriano, what are we looking at in, in those countries? Yeah, exactly. The Germans are definitely pleased by the results because, as, as Mark said, the, the, the worst case scenario, the doomsday scenario of having two anti-globalization candidates competing in the runoff has been averted. So, so the Germans have a reason to, to be pleased today. But the Germans are also worried because of what you were saying. Outgoing President François Hollande, he controls a majority in the French parliament and still he couldn't manage to get much done. So if, if reforms in France are difficult under normal circumstances, just imagine what it could be under a cohabitation scenario. And even if there was uh, an, an effective government in place in France, some of the things that uh, Macron has promised to do go against German interests. Macron has promised to introduce a special budget for the Eurozone, which would be in charge of uh, spending in the EU and to, and to, to have uh, public spending investment plans in, in the EU or to bail out uh, countries in Southern Europe. All these things are, in theory, should be against what the Germans would be interested in having. So even, even, even if we have a pro-European government in France, there could be frictions with, with Germany. And as you said, the Eurosceptic wave is not over because at some point within the next 10 to 12 months, there will be uh, an election in, in, in Italy, which is a country that has the highest uh, dead rates in the, in, the, in the Eurozone. It's a country where unemployment is high. It's a country where reform is even more difficult to implement than in France. And opinion polls show that the Eurosceptic five-star movement is putting neck and neck with a pro-EU democratic party. So at some point there will be an election in France, in, in Italy, sorry, and it will be probably even riskier than the French election for the stability of the Eurozone.
Yeah, I mean, the Eurozone could arguably cope with a Grexit, but not uh, with a Frexit or, you know, potential exit by by Italy or at least a crisis there of, of that scale. Sim, let's bring you into the conversation. When we look at, at NATO policy um, and the differences between these two candidates, Le Pen has talked about withdrawing um, from integrated NATO command, um, you know, really taking on this v- sort of Gaullist stance. Um, and Macron has given his own nuances to NATO policy. How how do you see those two differences between the candidates? I mean, I, I think the main point is that Macron sits closest to the the traditional line in Europe on um, on NATO, so he he's not proposing any any kind of radical action. Um, he basically wants to temper the alliance's um, need to continue to expand, as well as um, kind of temper the the need for the organization to get involved outside of its own borders. Um, such as, you know, we've seen in operations in Libya or Afghanistan. Um, when it comes to Le Pen, however, there's, of course, a much uh, a much more important point there, where Le Pen, as you said, wants to withdraw from the integrated military structure of NATO. Um, now, of course, for France, this is not a very new or unusual position, because, in fact, for most of NATO's history, uh, France has been withdrawn from that uh, military structure. So... It's only been since uh, Sarkozy reintroduced France um, that they've actually been a part of it. Um, and at this point, NATO has shaped itself in a way that it, it also doesn't overly depend on France in that position. Um, for France itself, of course, it means that it would, um, it would lose the ability to have its own high-ranking officers take up command positions uh, throughout NATO operations. Um, it also means that, um, of course, the the logistical connections between France and other parts of NATO will become more severed again, um, which is something that, you know, in, in terms of long-term high-level planning in NATO, when they think about a, a considerable threat from the East, particularly from Russia, um, that, that shapes the way in which NATO can actually mount its deterrent or a potential response if something were to happen. And if anyone is is looking at this election very carefully, it's certainly Russia in particular, um, and Russia having a, a broader agenda to use these electoral cycles in Europe and the prevailing Euroscepticism um, to try and sow divisions within the EU, within NATO, um, try to break try to break that that Western bloc overall. Um, now, Russia doesn't come out very well here, given that I mean it was had pretty good odds going into this election, where three of the four candidates. Um, you know, we're, we're questioning uh, France's position in the European Union um, and the moderate side, at least trying to reclaim rights away from Brussels and on the more extreme side, saying that they want to leave altogether um, from these multinational institutions. Uh, but Russia, uh, looking at the, this NATO prospect and what uh, Macron in particular is is aiming for, um, you know, how far does Russia really get in its goal of, of disrupting the NATO alliance? Yeah, just, uh, Sim, were you about to answer? I was just going to say that Macron, as you said, was the only candidate who openly criticized Russia and openly accused Russia of trying to boycott his campaign. Uh, So he was the only one openly saying that the EU should keep its sanctions against Moscow. So uh, from the EU perspective, I think Germany will have an ally in Macron if they want to push the rest of the of the of the bloc to keep the sanctions in place for a few more months because of the situation in eastern Ukraine. 
that also comes at the same time in the United States, we're seeing plenty of constraints to any sort of conciliatory dialogue between the United States and Russia, given the this unrelenting probe into Russian links on the Trump administration, um, making it very difficult to even broach the subject of sanctions easing. And so with a Macron win, um, that that seems to be Russia facing even more obstacles and trying to get that, that sanctions discussion going. Um, and so we may be seeing that standoff very well endure um, on the NATO front. Um, you know, I mean, basically, does that just point to a likely status quo in the dynamic, at least for the course of the next year? Or do you see other underlying tensions, Sim, on where that alliance is heading? Um, I, I think in terms of the the big tensions between the alliance and Russia on, on a longer term, one of the big points that Russia has been been very um, very worried about is that expansion of NATO. And that's one of the things where neither candidates has actually um, taking up a position that really threatens Russia um, when it comes to the, uh, you know, the membership of, of countries like uh, Sweden, Finland, um, which are still in doubt, and, and then the expansions in the Balkan. Um, nobody has any particular problems with that. And I, I think to a large degree, Russia is also um, expecting certain movement there, particularly in the Balkans, of course. Um, but on, on the longer term, the um, the prospect of, of no further um, expansion of this alliance, I think that that sets uh, Russia at ease to some degree. And, and um, you know, apart from the, the larger and, and more immediate sanctions issue, I, I, I don't particularly see any reason for Russia um, to be fearful of, 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 uh, of Macron if, if he were to win the elections. Well, but certainly Russia would have had a much more um, advantageous position in, in sowing that disruptive element within NATO with a non-Macron win. Um, still, I mean, security has been a major feature for this uh, election campaign in France. Um, we can already see Le Pen saying that she's the only one with a coherent security platform, that she has been emphasizing this all along, that Macron lacks that. Um, of course, you know, there was a lot of speculation around the, the recent Paris attack and to what degree that could swing voters. Um, I, I don't know if we have a, a definitive um answer to that, given that Le Pen did come out very clearly, but uh, Macron as well. What can we see between now and the second round that could really affect that security argument in this race? Yeah, so from the from the security point of view, um, Macron and, and Le Pen have radically different points of view. Le Pen is all about closing the French borders, regaining national sovereignty, expelling all the immigrants that are accused of having connections uh, with, with terrorism. So it's a very kind of an isolated uh, reaction. Also cooperate with the likes of Russia to, to, to fight international terrorism. Whereas Macron is defending what could be called the German line in the sense that he wants a EU-wide uh, security cooperation. He wants better control of the EU's external borders rather than France's individual borders. He wants uh, the EU's operations in the Mediterranean to be strengthened, the, the fights against uh, illegal immigration to be taken outside of the EU's borders. So, so that's the Macron line. But as you said, uh, security and defense are not his strong suits.
And certainly we'll need to see if there's potential for further attacks, certainly larger scale attacks within France, um, whether that would be more of a, of a swing factor in these days leading up to the second round. And we have to keep in mind, I mean, of, of course, the logic says that most of the moderate voters will migrate to, to Macron. It's, of course, most of the people who voted for the Socialist Party will migrate to Macron. Many of the people who voted for François Fillon will migrate to Macron as well. Uh, people who voted for Mélenchon would maybe would probably abstain because they don't like any of the candidates. But uh, it, it's fair to say that many of the things that Le Pen is saying really, really uh, touch a, a, a nerve and a chord in, 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 in French uh, mentality. This idea of protecting the French economy, this idea of protecting the French identity, this idea of uh, trying to count on ourselves because nobody else is going to come and, and help us uh, and relying on ourselves and, and, and restoring the French grandeur. I mean, these ideas are quite popular for, for a certain sector of, of the French electorates. And uh, Macron is a good rival for Le Pen in the sense that it allows herself to, to, to allows Le Pen to present herself as a woman of the people against the banker uh, who had the expensive education and expensive clothes and celebrates his victory at an, at an expensive restaurant in Paris. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting rival in that, in that regard. Yeah. Said that she should lose the election, but uh, and I, she, will have, she, will, she will have a very good opportunity to, 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 to play those cards against Macron. Absolutely. Um, we do have uh, a question related to, of course, the Brexit. And, you know, as we know, this is a negotiation that is still very much in its early stages. Um, but, you know, as we look at the prospect, the most likely prospect for this French election outcome and the other big crises that we're watching um, on the European continent, how are we likely to see the the outcome of the, the Brexit negotiation over the course of this next couple of years? Um, Adriano Mark? Yeah, um, I'll take this one with my British accent. Um, as Rihanna was saying, I mean, the, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be, uh, the markets potentially have been a little bit too definitive in their relaxation following the, following the vote. Um, we shouldn't uh, be guaranteeing that, um, only talk about Macron, thinking that Macron is guaranteed to get through. Um, so with that in mind, um, obviously we've got a, we've got a, a Brexit negotiation underway. Um, there's two factors with 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 Macron first. Um, he is a he's a he's a he's a massive Europhile, um, and uh, he's uh, made clear that that's his position. And he has made clear his his feelings, his anti-Brexit feelings, um, and he sees the UK now as a as a vassal state. Um, so, uh, with that in mind, um, with with Europe's interests likely to be at the forefront of his um, of, his, of his thinking, it's he's he's likely to uh, to not uh, make it easy on the UK in, in terms of Brexit negotiations. Um, and the second factor to bear in mind is that um, one of Macron's big economic policies is to try and reinvigorate uh, Paris, try and try and re-stimulate innovation and and, um, and finance, for example. Um, 
a lot of the a lot of the innovative Frenchmen um, have left in the last five or ten years um, to go to London um, because they've been well they claim they, they're in Poles they've been stifled by French regulations and and, and French institutions um, so with Macron's idea of kind of deregulating and and trying to uh, drop corporate taxes and things like that um, he he will be trying to uh, attract um, these 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 uh, immigrants or these emigrants back to France which um motivates to make life a little bit harder perhaps for the city of london um we've seen all the banks in london are now kind of thinking about where they want to move to um frankfurt dublin have been have been near the top paris has has not been at the top um largely because of that regulation and and because of that kind of anti-finance culture so these are the things which macron can can affect potentially if he gets the majority if he can actually you know um function um which we really talked about so that's so that's an aspect that he'll be looking to influence with brexit so i i would say it's probably if it's macron i would say it doesn't it doesn't help uh britain in in negotiations at all if it's um le pen uh two aspects of this um first of all uh her like inter-party relationship um in the uk was 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 with ukip um we've got an election coming up um in the uk uh, in the next six weeks, UKIP really are not figuring. Um, they're they're not expected to to, to perform well. They're 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 seeming like a kind of a, a a bit of a spent force, having having achieved what they wanted to. Um, and so that connection within the UK politics isn't 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 there. Um, but on the other on the other side, um, Marine Le Pen is, as we've talked about, anti well anti Europe, um, very much minded to take France out of Europe. That's going to weaken the institution um, from the European side, and it's going to generally weaken the the, um, the the European negotiating hand, which gives presumably um, uh, a, a, presumably at the moment it looks like Prime Minister May coming off the election. Um, although all this might change, of course, but um, a stronger hand in negotiations um, to be able to, to to push her negotiating points. So, from a British perspective. If you're trying to get the best deal you want from Brexit, then you then you probably want Le Pen to win this election. And, and as we've been reminding our readers, you know, as May is taking her own electoral gamble with uh, early elections in June, you know, she may have more room to maneuver, as you said, but she still seems to be sticking to, um, you know, a semi-soft Brexit in the sense that um, she's she's still sticking to single market policy. Um, but, you know, there may be more flexibility in, in the, the terms that she negotiates with her, her EU partners. It's it, it um, being described as a hard Brexit with a soft landing, which makes okay. a lot of sense. <laughs> All right. Um, and so we have several questions here. One uh, com- is, how is Macron's relationship uh, with the Chinese in particular? We know that China has been paying a lot of attention to Europe, um, has been a little nervous about the developments over Brexit in particular. So what can we expect from China's relationship with France under a Macron presidency? Macron didn't talk that much about China during the campaign. He made vague statements saying that he wants Franco-Chinese cooperation to continue, that China is uh, an important ally, an important trading partner, but he was not that specific about China. I would say that uh, despite the fact that Macron 
was the only candidate in the French election openly defending the need of free trade agreements, defending the need of, 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 of free trade and, and, and global markets. He was the only one openly defending the, the, the agreements with the US and with Canada, which were very criticized at home. He will have to deal, whatever he does, he will have to deal with domestic opposition to those kind of deals. And uh, depending on who controls the, the National Assembly, he will have limited room uh, to, to move in that direction. And certainly in some sectors, like we've already seen in places like Germany, we have seen very popular sort of economic protectionist campaigns for um, particularly sensitive sectors, which I'm sure would still pervade a Macron presidency, even if he is more open yeah. to maintaining those trade ties. With yeah, exactly. Party. Germany has identified China as one of the many countries with which the EU should develop closer ties. Uh, but at the same time, we know that German officials and, and to a certain extent French officials as well want, uh, 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 want European companies and investors to have the same conditions in China than Chinese investors have when they come to Europe. So, so that's a, a source of friction between the two. Okay. Another question. Uh, do you think the left populists will vote their populism and go toward Le Pen in the second round? Um, I think I'll, uh, I think there's I think there's a there's a chance that there will probably be a split um, among the left populists. I mean, in some ways, um, so the left populists we're talking about um, Jean-Luc Mélenchon and his and his followers. Um, he got um, around twenty percent. Um, so there's a there's a lot to play for with them. Um, it's notable that the centrists have gone have endorsed the centrist candidates have endorsed Macron, um, and Mélenchon has has refused to endorse anyone. Um, so that that leaves them free. I think there's probably a um, there are there are there are aspects. Um, so there are aspects of of Mélenchon, although one is is far right and one is far left in 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 some ways. Um, there are aspects of Mélenchon the 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 social policies uh, and sorry the um, the economic policies which are very like Le Pen. So it's it's kind of the borrow and spend um, kind of attitude that kind of. Don't worry about um, fiscal uh, fiscal balance and and the and the growth and stability pact. Um, we need to we need to we need to borrow and spend to get France out of the mire. Um, that they have in they have in common. So I think uh, a fair few will be will be minded to go that way as well. I think um, many will also be um, uh, kind of wanting to to level a protest vote. You know, if you if you want to level a protest vote, you can go left or right. They happen to go left in the first round. That some of them will be will be minded if they want a lot of change, to um to to go straight across to the right. Um, but I think, but also from a social perspective, um, just from a from a traditional left perspective, um, a lot of these Mélenchon supporters will be minded to join Macron as well. So I don't think I and and sorry, finally and and, and perhaps most importantly. Um, with uh, the, the leader uh, Mélenchon having abstained um, in this in this round from from endorsing another one, I think that there's high possibility of, of, of high levels of, of abstentions. So actually, probably the majority um, we're probably looking at abstentions, um, and then the others could easily split uh, down 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 into into either candidate. Okay, uh, more of a of a technical question, um, Adriano. So, when does the president appoint the prime minister? Does he or she have to wait by law or convention until after the parliamentary election in June, or could there be an early attempt to signal a reassuring PM selection just after round two? We've talked about how the selection of the PM here is going to be very important for the the survivability, really, of this the next president. We we will have an interesting situation because for a few weeks. 
between the second round of the presidential election and the second round of the National Assembly election, we will have the French president uh, dealing with the previous parliament, with the outgoing parliament. Uh, so in theory, the prime minister should remain the same. Uh, and in theory, the, the French president should wait until after the, the National Assembly election to see what the new National Assembly looks like and to appoint uh, a, new, a new prime minister. We have to keep in mind that the president proposes the prime minister, but the parliament gives a vote of confidence on, 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 on the prime minister. So there is a chance that, that, that uh, the next president has to uh, work with, with the outgoing prime minister for a month or so before he tries to appoint his own candidates. And and when we look at the the broader uh, European picture here, are we likely to see a revitalized Franco-German EU engine after German elections? Or will Macron be a weak president working with difficulty with the National Assembly that's not particularly friendly or maybe more inexperienced? Another question we have from our listeners. It's It's connected to what we said before. It all depends on whether or not Macron's party wins enough seats in the National Assembly to control a majority and to appoint a prime minister and to have full coordination between the president and the prime minister. If, on the contrary, we see a fragmented parliament, Macron will have no choice but to try to cut a deal. This is interesting. He's a centrist, so he could reach out to the socialists, but he could also reach out to the conservatives. That's, that's a good thing of being a centrist. So he will have options. But if there is an alliance... Alliance in, involve horse trading, so he will not be in full control of the of the political situation. And back to the the security field, um, do we feel that a, a Le Pen victory would lead to more terrorist attacks in France? An interesting question, Sam. Um, it, it's a very interesting question indeed. I think there's a twofold answer here. Where I mean, of course, the expectation uh, in the question seems to be that a, a presidency by Le Pen would draw more focus from Islamist groups to to actually target uh, France. But at the same time, I think one of the expectations would be that Le Pen uh, takes France out of, of certain uh, theaters where they could potentially uh, compel terrorist organizations to target them, and at the same time, um, put certain security measures in place and, and deal in, in, you know, really rough measures with um, issues of, of uh, litigation of, of terror uh, suspicions and, and you know, just the physical security presence on the streets in, in France, um, that would actually make it more difficult for terrorists to be uh, successful in France. Um, so perhaps there could be some reasons why we see increased attempts to target it, but I think for a lot of reasons, a Le Pen presidency could, could lead to less opportunities as well. And, you know, we have seen through many of these attacks, you know, they're they're not particularly large scale or particularly skilled in their tactics, but quite resourceful um, and quite effective in, in sort of sustaining that over that that prevailing fear. Um, of course, we've seen a lot of links coming back into Belgian networks and the need for intelligence cooperation really being essential on the European level as a way to combat that threat. Um, but you can see how um, certainly it, it is within the interest of a lot of these grassroots grassroots groups um, and their their parent organizations to fuel that Islamophobia in Europe as a way to attract more recruits.
No, that's correct. And um, that's an, actually another interesting field where the, um, you know, the recruiting and the, the radicalization process in general um, is, is something where um, a lot of countries in Europe have struggled to really address this. Um, and, and this is, you know, of course, because we've got an, an, an existential um, challenge between the, the need to actually tackle these issues and at the same time to embrace the, the multicultural idea that supports this, this European project. Um, so um, I think that's where, where potentially we could see a, a departure from the, the current status um, under a Le Pen leadership. Um, but of course, you know, even, even Le Pen would be um, in many ways constrained to making um, real notable changes in, in the way that those layers of, of so, uh, society are able to to function and, and you know, encounter and, and themselves uh, on, on that path of uh, radicalization. Uh, another question going back to, to the economic picture, of course, we know the economy was a major feature of, of this election with unemployment in France around 10%, that stagnation really affecting a lot of voters. And so we have a question that asks, what are the chances of President Macron getting France back on a path of economic growth and recovery from the current downward spiral? Um, so from a, from a, so the downward spiral has shown signs of writing in general over the last six to nine months. So, so European um, economics has has improved across the board as in fact, I mean, this is kind of being buoyed, buoyed by kind of global um, recoveries in, 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 the, in the outlook. So there is this um, kind of global reflation picture, which which has been having an effect on France as well. And we're, we're, we've seen that. The short term, um, the, the the soft um, data has been has been has been particularly positive for France in the last couple of months. So there is something going on. Um, there is a there is already a bit of a, a an improvement in those circumstances. Um, as you mentioned, Reva, I mean unemployment um, remains above ten percent. This was the great um, kind of black dog of, of President Hollande's presidency, which he was he was trying to fix um, and failing to. The, the answer, um, I mean, from, from, from Macron's perspective, um, the things that he wants to do um, are, are all the right things for France. You know, all the, all the cutting of the red tape, all the deregulation, all the, all the kind of overcoming of those um, institutional um, uh, barriers within France, those cultural kind of issues like um, overcoming kind of, um, you know, farmer lobbies and, and, and things like that. Um, uh, tampering with a the, with the 35 hour week, um, uh, sacking uh, civil servants or letting them letting them retire without being replaced these things are um are politically very difficult in france so if he if he if he gets um a, a strong government this goes back to the previous question as to as to how much of a strong government he can form um out of this very unusual situation from the legislative elections but if he does and if he manages to cobble together some centrist coalition of um the moderate uh socialists and the moderate uh maybe the moderate socialists and the moderate um uh republican then um then it's quite possible uh that um and he and he is able to follow the the the, the platform that he would like to um then it would bode well for, for for the french economy but that is a that's a big if okay and you know we've been talking about the the economic picture the security dynamics one of the questions we have adriano in, in looking at the polls leading up to this election and you know some of those polling projections did end up being quite accurate in the end what were the issues uh, that were most resonating with french voters 
The, the main issues were, of course, the economy and security slash terrorism. Uh, it was a campaign shaped by uh, proposals to modernize the French economy coming from uh, Fillon and Macron and proposals to introduce different forms of protectionism and to increase public spending uh, coming from Mélenchon and, and, and Le Pen. And of course, the, every candidate had to have a position on terrorism uh, security, even even on the role of, of, of minorities and, and, and immigration. Very different positions, but uh, every candidate felt that they had to have a, an answer to that. So those were the two main issues. The issue of France's membership in the EU was there in the back somewhere, but it was not the most prominent issue. It was, I think, an, an indirect connection to, to, to the main proposals from the main candidates. Okay. Um, a nice big picture question for us. What are the chances of an EU breakup? And in what ways should the EU be changed to free up the EU economies? Maybe a bit of a, a normative um, bent on the second half of that question. But um, Adriano, as you're looking at this, you know, of course, we're looking beyond France at the other tremors um, that are on the European continent um, and are, are developing month by month, year by year in these electoral cycles. Um, what is your assessment of ultimately an EU breakup at this point? We, we, we have different, uh, different levels of, of understanding of, of this situation. Of course, one of the key elements of our narrative is the incompatibility between Europe's north and Europe's south and how France is both a northern European country and a, and, a, and a Mediterranean country and how at the end of the day the question is whether or not northern European countries are willing to uh, put their wealth in jeopardy or, or, or to share their wealth with, 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 the, with the economies in the south and whether or not the economies in the south are willing to give up national sovereignty to be controlled by unelected supranational institutions. Uh, and in recent years, over the past five or so years, we have also seen the Eastern questions, countries from Poland to Hungary questioning uh, the very basic principles of, of European integration and, and asking Western European countries to leave them alone to do their own thing domestically. So we see uh, a growing fragmentation in, 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 in Europe. And of course, the fact that the nationalists and the extremists in France will probably not reach the presidency doesn't mean that uh, people won't will stop supporting those kind of candidates. As I said earlier in, in, in this conversation, if we combine the number of people who voted for Le Pen with the number of people who voted for Mélenchon, with the number of people who, who voted for smaller, more fringe candidates, we have roughly half of the French electorate who is worried about globalization, who is worried about status quo, who's worried about uh, the free movement of people, goods, capital, the very same principles upon which the European Union was created. And that's the most important takeaway that I think we can have from from this French election and from the future election cycles we have in Europe. This is a slow burn uh, to the European Union. And there are some irreconcilable splits um, that we see, not just north to south, but also east to west, but really that north-south fault line between France and Germany being the most critical. And so while a, a potential Macron presidency is going to spread complacency again, um, 
um, we would caution against that. The, if you look at the structural factors that are underpinning your skepticism and you lay that against also the political systems that are designed to weed out extremist groups like we see in France, you still have a picture of very potent uh, and sizable discontent. And that is not going anywhere anytime soon. And so that is really the picture that we see that that drives that fragmentation of the European Union, whether we we still have a European Union, but a hollow one, which the institutions don't really have the means to um, implement or enforce policy. And we do see further and further repatriation of rights to national governments or an actual breakup triggered by one of the many crises um, that could develop on the continent. Those are the two scenarios that I think we're looking most seriously at. But it takes time. It takes multiple electoral cycles. And here's just one um, that has been, it is very pivotal, um, but still more to come. We do want to thank our, our listeners for sending in um, plenty of very, very good and thoughtful questions. And we thank you for your time um, in joining us for this discussion on the French elections. Uh, we'll be covering this issue as well as the wider trend of European fragmentation very closely. That concludes this episode of the Stratford podcast, bringing you the full conversation from our latest live webcast on the French election results and their impact. If you'd like to read more Stratford analysis on the topic, we'll include some suggested links in the show notes. If you have a question or comment about the podcast or an idea for a future episode, let us know. You can reach Stratford Talks at 1-512-744-4300, extension 3917, or by email at podcast at stratfor.com. And don't forget to leave us a review. We appreciate your feedback and your review also helps others discover the podcast. It just takes a few moments and you can leave a review on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to the podcast. And for more geopolitical intelligence, analysis and forecasting that brings global events into valuable perspective, visit us at stratfor.com or follow us on Twitter at Stratfor. Thanks for listening.